So, it's wonderful to all be back together again, to be able to meet in person, and to be able to see each other's faces, and as I look out on you, it's just wonderful to see all these familiar and loved faces. So today we're going to be talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and yeah, just to start with a few facts about Mary, let me open my book so I can see my notes. She has really captured the imagination of, of the world, I would say. I would say that she's one of the most famous people in the world. Um, even in the Quran, she's called the greatest woman who ever lived. There are 70 mentions of her in the Quran in two long chapters dedicated to her. And she is called by the Orthodox Church and the Catholics the Queen of Heaven. She has a really, really exalted position. And she has been called by many, many different names. She, she is known as, some of them are Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Good Counsel, the Star of the Seas, the Blessed Virgin Mary. There are many, many, many names by which she is known. And because of this, many painters, the greatest painters ever and artists, have painted paintings of her, done mosaics, statues, all sorts of things. In fact, she's the most painted lady ever. And um, Carl, if you can just put a few of the pictures up on the screen of Mary. So very famous painters like Raphael and Michelangelo have done works of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is probably the most common name by which she's known. And if you see, many of them have a halo around her because um, the Orthodox and the Catholic churches actually venerate her. She is revered. And she is also prayed to. Um, probably you would all have heard of the Hail Mary. She is prayed to. There are many prayers to her. There are many devotions to her. The months of May and October are dedicated to her and to thinking about her and praying to her. And um, she is not prayed to in order that she would answer what you ask, but that she would intercede in her exalted position as being the mother of God, that she would then intercede on your behalf so that Jesus would answer our prayers. So these are all things that are in the church out there about Mary, the mother of Jesus. But what I want to do today is actually look at what the Bible says about Mary because um, the Bible is the authority. The word of God is our only truth and authority. What does that say about Mary? Just a few other things that I forgot to mention are that um, there are a number of principles about Mary that Catholicism has made dogma, which means that they are incontrovertible truths about her. And the three of them are that she was immaculately conceived and that it's the immaculate conception, meaning that she did not have the original sin that all of us are born with that came down through Adam. 
she remained pure and sinless, and she remains pure and sinless. The second one is her perpetual virginity. She is known as the ever-virgin. In other words, she remained and does remain a virgin. And then the third one is the assumption whereby she was raised up into heaven. She didn't actually um, get buried on earth. She was raised up into heaven. And there are many, many paintings that also depict us. Are these things in the Bible, what we want to discover today is who Mary really was. As I did a study of the Bible, I found out that she wasn't um, a really self-assured, mature woman as often depicted in these paintings. Around about the time that we meet Mary, she was between 12 and 14 years of age because in those days, young ladies got married at that very young age. There were two reasons for this. The one was that they would remain a virgin till marriage, and the second one was so that they would have a long and fruitful period of childbearing. So they got married at this young age and were expected to start bearing children. That's why in the Bible, when a woman was barren and didn't bear children, it was just so terrible, terrible for her, because this was one of the main reasons a woman married and a woman was why she was actually there. So let's start off and go to Luke, where we first meet Mary, and we're just basically going to go through the scriptures about Mary. So if we look at Luke 1 from verse 26, let me just put on my spectacles. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. When a young lady was betrothed, unlike today, an engagement can easily be broken. When you were engaged, it was actually the first stage of marriage. It was a legal pledge, a legal agreement And you were normally betrothed for a year, during which time you needed to remain a virgin or else your husband could actually divorce you because he was already your husband. And then after that year, in which you stayed at home, you would the following year um, have this procession. You'd get all ready, anointed and bathed and decorated, and then you would in a procession with music and singing and great celebration, be escorted to your husband's home and you would then live with him and the marriage would be consummated. So she was betrothed. So we know that she was probably then about 12 or 13. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So 
So we firstly see that Mary was actually chosen by God because twice the angel says, highly favored one, you have found favor with God. And I think as we go through this Bible study, we're going to find out why she was chosen by God and what it was about her that made her so highly favored. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And she asked this out of curiosity because obviously by then she knew how babies get born. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's reaction to this absolutely amazing thing, which would turn her whole world upside down, was to say, I am your servant, also translated handmaid. So Mary was a a young woman of great humility before God. And then she said, let it be according to your word. She had faith. She trusted the Lord. She wanted to be obedient to him. So she said, let it be according to your word. And those were words of faith that she spoke. So Mary was a word of faith. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her of the Lord. So I don't think that it was any mistake that the angel told Mary that her relative was also pregnant because the result was that she immediately, or maybe not immediately, but she then went to Elizabeth. And we learn that she spent three whole months there. When she got to Elizabeth, this word from the Lord was confirmed to her by Elizabeth. So obviously the Lord wanted to confirm his word to her through Elizabeth. Secondly, I think the Lord wanted her to go to Elizabeth Because for three months, she as a young girl, after having her whole world quite turned upside down, um, would need someone like Elizabeth, who we can see from this, was a godly lady, an older lady, a wife. She could actually mentor her, show her how it is to be a wife in the home. And she was faithful, and she was full of the Holy Spirit. So for three months, Mary was in this situation. And I think this teaches us that when we hear a word from the Lord, 
what we need to do is we need to surround ourselves with faithful people. When we're trusting the Lord for something, when we receive a promise from the Lord, when we're standing on his word, we need to look to the Lord, to his word, and we need to surround ourselves with like-minded people. Elizabeth was a like-minded person. So that was very important for Mary. I think in those first three months of this pregnancy, it must have helped her hugely. So the Lord really favored her because he provided her with Elizabeth. And secondly, he provided her with Joseph, her husband. That, that um, Matthew speaks about Joseph and how the Lord came to him and told him about the birth of Jesus. And Joseph was a wonderful provision for Mary from the Lord because he was a just man, Matthew tells us. He was obviously a godly man. He was a kind man because when he heard that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to put her away privately. He had this reason then to divorce her from this legal agreement that they were in. But then an angel came to him and said to him, don't do that, and told him that this uh, baby was, um, you know, um, the Holy Spirit had come upon Mary, and she was a virgin still. And he then very kindly fast-tracked the marriage and brought her into his home. So when she got back from Elizabeth, she went straight into Joseph's home as his wife. And um, that was wonderful. Joseph was a protector and a provider for her. He was an obedient man, which I think is one of the reasons the Lord chose him, because the Lord would appear to him in a dream and say, you need to do this or that, and he would do it to protect Mary and the child. So let's go on. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So just from these two lines, we find out that Mary knows that she is a spirit being created by God, her Savior, and she rejoices in him, and she praises him. She has this Tremendous, tremendous joy that the Lord gives her in hearing that she has been favored and honored to bear the Son of God. And um, she goes on to say, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You know, Mary grew up in Nazareth, a town in the northern region of Israel called Galilee. She grew up as a, a poor young girl. Um, their family lived in a very humble abode. And uh, Galilee was an agricultural area. And so um, in those days, there weren't any of the wonderful conveniences we have, you know. We, she couldn't go buy her clothes. She had to spin cloth and make clothing. She had to grind a meal to make bread. Everything had to be done. There was a courtyard in the middle of um, these um, very uh, plain little houses, humble houses that she and her relatives and people in the, in the little town would live in. There'd be a courtyard in the middle with the livestock that they used. 
to eat, etc. And um, these young girls would, uh, from an early age, rise up at dawn to, to do all the work required to actually um, run the home. You know, they were taught. And um, at this time in Jewish history, women didn't have a very um, uh, prominent role in society. They were encouraged by the Jewish leaders to stay at home and to do these strenuous household duties while men led the public life. If they went out, they had to be veiled and they weren't allowed to speak to men when they were out. Um, They were mainly at home. They only had um, three basic rights. They were allowed to go to a wedding feast. They were allowed to go to a house of mourning where someone had died. They were allowed to visit a relative, like she visited Elizabeth. And they were allowed to go to the house of study where they could actually hear a sermon or pray. But from an early age, they were orally taught because they were generally illiterate. Um, It wasn't... um, felt necessary that that woman needed to read or write, you know, because they were in the home. So, But they were orally taught about the Messiah and to expect the promised Messiah. And they heard from a young age all the prophecies to do with him. And um, so they knew that. And this is why I would think she goes on to say, for behold, from now on, All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And if we read that, um, I'm sure all of us can remember reading that type of thing in the Old Testament. It's a recurring theme of God lifting up the humble, you know, casting down the proud. And of him blessing the humble, of him filling the hungry and things like that. And then he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she actually, she knows the word of God. And she doesn't only know the word of God and the promises of God, but she knows God. She actually has a great love for him and a personal relationship for him, with him. And this is wonderful, something that we find out about Mary here. So this is the first time that we find out about Mary. And then let's go on. I think we also see here the contrast between her and Zechariah. Zechariah also heard news from an angel that his wife was miraculously pregnant after being barren for many, many years. But he doubted it, and so he was made dumb. And to me, this is also such a huge lesson about the words of our mouths. You know, he is made dumb so that he cannot speak any unbelief. It's so important to the Lord You know, he says in his word that death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and in James it encourages us to speak good things out of our mouths. And we see Mary and we see Elizabeth, that their hearts were full of good words and faith-filled words. And um, even Paul says in, in Corinthians, he says, as it is written, so I spoke, quoting the Old Testament. He says, we believe and therefore we speak. Sorry, he was quoting the Old Testament saying, as it is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. So we believe, therefore we speak. So this uh, principle of speaking words of life, um, you know, we see that God spoke the world into existence. That um, we see in Hebrews 11, 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Mary had faith and she pleased God. She believed that he is, as the scripture says. We need to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I believe that Mary was, had grown up diligently seeking the Lord, loving him. And here, her love for him was rewarded. And she, she responded with this amazing faith. even at this very young age. Okay, so let's see where we go to now. <laughs> yes, the other thing that really amazed me is that Mary praises the Lord and speaks of this before she's even possibly felt this baby start to grow in her womb, before there's any physical signs, before any evidence of it in the natural. She is praising the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that is what faith is, you know, being confident and assured in what we believe. And um, that really struck me about Mary, that she had this amazing faith. So the next time we see Mary is in John 2. So let's go to John 2 from verse 1 to 5. Actually, it's not the next time we see Mary. We see, um, we obviously see Mary at the birth of Jesus, and we also see Mary going to the temple where you have to present your firstborn son at the temple. And um, in these excerpts of Scripture, what we see about Mary is that she's somebody that really ponders things in her heart. And um, I looked up to see what ponder means, and it actually means somebody who really thinks about something carefully, especially before making a decision or reaching a conclusion. Other translations are that she treasured things in her heart, that she kept things in her heart. And we have two incidents where... Um, it tells us this about Mary. And um, the first one is where the shepherds come to worship him and pay him homage. And they have um, heard from an angel that this king has been born. And um, it tells us that she ponders all these things. And then again, when Jesus is a child at the age of 12, um, and he 
stays in the temple without them realizing it in Jerusalem, and they go start their journey back home. When they eventually find him in the temple, he says, why were you so surprised? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? And this is something she also pondered in her heart. So we find that Mary is a woman that thinks about things carefully. She isn't somebody that um, we don't ever hear her um, exclaiming or really going off about things, you know. Um, When she has to have her baby in a manger, we don't hear her complaining. When she has to flee to Egypt because Herod wants to kill the Christ, we don't hear her complaining. But what we do hear about Mary is that she ponders things in her heart. She thinks about things carefully. And I think that's a lesson for us as well. I feel like Mary had an amazing strength of character. She was very young when all this happened to her. And she didn't have it easy, you know. She had obviously grown up a strong woman physically by um, doing all the chores she did around the house. But when she was about a week, the commentaries say, from giving birth to Jesus, she had to go off to Bethlehem to go and get registered for tax. And reading up on it, this was a journey that must have taken them about nine days. It was, I think, um, because she was so heavily pregnant, they couldn't travel more than 10 kilometers a day, and it was 90 kilometers away. But not only that, there were no paths or roads. They had to go up and down over really hilly, treacherous country. They were next to the Jordan Valley, which was very bushy and had lions and, um, you know, wild boars, and there was danger. And it was winter. It was freezing. So they had to dress really warmly, and it rained, apparently, a lot of the time. So she had this really arduous journey to get to Bethlehem. Then when she got there, she had to give birth to her first child in a stable and lay him in a manger, which is a trough, you know, that that, um, cows and animals drink out of. And um, then, uh, you know, she had to flee to... uh, Egypt, a really strange and unknown country. And after that, they came back to Galilee. Then she had this son who, from the age of 12, I think, started becoming this adult that had this amazing call and this amazing mission. And she would probably have realized this by then. But when we see her at the temple... I think she probably realized when she started pondering in her heart, when he said, don't you know I need to be about my father's business, that this son was going to be becoming further and further away from her um, authority and the closeness she had probably until then shared with, with him. You know, if I think of my son when he turned 12, when he was 12, that was the last time he sat on my lap. Until then, he would always sit on my lap, you know. Even when we were out, he'd come and sit on my lap until he was 12. And sons are often really so affectionate. 
And I'm sure Jesus was no different. But um, she had to have an amazing strength of character, I think, because once he started with his public ministry, she actually had to see her son being hounded, you know, by the Jewish authorities who wanted to put him to death. You know, as a mother, if we think of it, she, she probably lived in, she probably had this trepidation, you know, that, that any moment something may happen to him, you know, and she would probably be praying and praying for him. And it must have been hard. She must have had to have a real strength of character. And then, of course, we know that eventually she had to see him crucified. And um, in Luke, it does tell us that um, a, um, a number of ladies from Galilee followed Jesus throughout this time that he was um, the, the hours that preceded his crucifixion. And she was probably one of those ladies because we then see that she's next to him at the cross. Um, so I just thought of a scripture that's, that really has meant a lot to me about being a wife and, and, and a mother that, that I think that Mary absolutely personifies. And I'm trying to find it in my notes, but it's in Peter where it's talking about being a wife. And um, let me see. Yes, it's in 1 Peter 3, 6. It's talking about Sarah. And, you know, it, it talks about the fact that we need to have a gentle and quiet spirit, which I think Mary had. We never hear her c complaining. You know, why did I have to give birth in a manger? This is going to be the king, you know, the great king. And um, the scripture says that our adorning should be the adorning of, of our hearts. We never hear about what Mary actually looked like. That's why it's so strange that we have so many pictures. She probably looked like this, very simple, young and fresh. But there are no... Um, descriptions that say Mary was a beautiful young lady, anything about the outward appearance of Mary. It's all about the heart of Mary and the way she was. And um, this scripture in Peter says, do right and let nothing terrify you, not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. That is the amplified version. So we are encouraged as wives and mothers, if we are mothers, to do right and let nothing terrify us. Not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve us. And I think this is a huge lesson we can learn from Mary. You know, if anybody had a right to become hysterical, to become terrified, to have anxieties and fears. I think it was her. She got pregnant before being living in her husband's home. The neighbors must have known that by looking at the time that she gave birth to Jesus. There must have been rumors. She had all sorts of obstacles to overcome just raising this child, keeping him safe. 
talking about the flight into Egypt from Herod, talking about giving birth in a stable, and then talking about, you know, even having to listen to people talking against him all the time. But fortunately, she had a prophecy from this fellow Simeon in the temple telling her that um, there would be opposition against him, opposition against him, and that she would also have a sword piercing her heart. In fact, Simeon turned to her, it says in the scripture, turned to the Mary, his mother, and said, so I think this was also something that she possibly pondered in her heart and thought of and realized that this was going to be a very painful journey to her, and it was, as we see from the life of Christ. So it wasn't easy to be the mother of Jesus at all. I think it was very difficult, but I think the Lord knew that she had this strength of character and this wonderful relationship with him, and she knew him, and so she was able to actually walking victory through these things. And in John, I'm not going to go to these scriptures because I don't want to take too much time, but the scripture in John that speaks about Mary and Jesus in John 2, 1 to 5, I found quite funny because they are at this wedding feast. She's there and Jesus is also there with his disciples. And the hosts run out of wine. And now when that happened, it was a hugely embarrassing thing for the hosts. And so Mary says to Jesus, they have run out of wine. And he says to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And this... Um, Saying woman, I've always thought, gee, that seems so rude, you know, and that's not the way I think of the Lord. But uh, looking at the commentaries in those days, saying woman like that actually meant dear lady. It was actually a, um, an address of respect to a woman. It wasn't rude. So I was very pleased to find that out. And basically he's saying to her, here I am. I have not started my public ministry yet. So, you know, why are you coming to me? And she doesn't uh, have any sort of discussion with him. With authority, she just um, turns to these servants and says to them, whatever he says, do it. She doesn't say to him, well, won't you do it, this and that. She's obviously at this stage still feels that she has the authority over him to say this to him. And I found that quite funny. So she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And then he does. And um, this is his first miracle. And it's in John. And we only actually see two things about Mary and his mother in the Gospel of John. And this is one of them, which I feel is quite a personal thing. You know, they're there with their family. It's not out in his public ministry where he's ministering um, to people to heal and to deliver and to set free, etc. And then the second place that we see him in John is actually at the cross of Christ. And 
I would just like to read this, this scripture. So if you like, we can turn to it. And it's in John 19, from verse 25 to 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And I thought about this, you know, because um, the Gospels do tell us that Mary had four other sons and two daughters. And why would Jesus then, knowing he's going to die, not just realize that the next son would then take over the care of his mom? Because by this time, we believe that Joseph had died and that um, the firstborn son being Jesus would then be basically in authority over his mom, be the head of that family, and making decisions like that. Because we don't hear anything about Joseph after seeing him with Jesus at the temple at the age of 12. We don't know when he died, but we, we surmise he did because we don't see or hear anything else of him. But we do hear quite a lot about Mary and the brothers and um, because they do become part of um, Jesus' disciples. So I think that this was something that the Lord did because he had such a special relationship with John. You know, John is the disciple that is always known as the disciple that Jesus loved and the one who lay on his chest at the, at the Last Supper. And um, I think he was Jesus, probably his closest friend. And Jesus knew the character of John. So that firstly, he wanted his mom to go to someone that he loved. And um, this just shows that he really loved his mom. And I think that's just so wonderful because the other thing about Mary is that she was devoted she was devoted, devoted to her son. And from his birth to his death, she was devoted to him. Even when we see in the Gospels, she and her sons came and they wanted to chat to Jesus, but there was a crowd there and Jesus said, who are my mom and my brothers? You know, they, they are people who hear the word of God and do it. These are my mom and my brothers. I believe he was using this as a, a teaching opportunity to teach them. And, but it must have been a little bit possibly hurtful for Mary. She could have got offended. You know, my son doesn't want to even see us. He's saying that all of these people, you know, everyone are his family. But I think she had to realize, and I think she did realize, that his ministry and his mission was for everybody that everybody had become his family. And I believe she accepted that. And that is why she was part of the ladies, I believe, that followed him. And she was at his cross at the end, devoted 
to him. And you know, many times I've found that when, when people are suffering or really ill, often um, people may uh, distance themselves from them because it's so hard to see somebody suffering. But you know, Mary stayed there till the end. Can you imagine um, having to see him beaten the way he was, you know? Uh, a, cross, a, a crown of thorns on his head, his face beyond recognition. I don't know. I don't think we can imagine what it must have been like. But she, she was there, you know. She was right next to his cross. And that, to me, again, shows her strength of character, her devotion, and her love. And secondly, I really do believe that um, the Lord sent Mary to go and live with John so that she could become, she could witness and be part of the birth of the New Testament church. Because the last time we see Mary, she's actually in the upper room. And I actually didn't even know that, you know. I'd never thought of Mary as being one of those believers waiting for the advent of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, which must have been a huge room, huge, because um, it says that Mary was there with her sons, and, and in some um, translations it also says sons and daughters, but it just mentions sons, and um, the, the disciples and then about 120 other people were in this upper room. But, you know, Mary was one of them. And um, just to end, um, I just think it's so wonderful that uh, the Lord set her up. He put her in the thick of being in the house of someone who was to become such a great apostle that uh, had known her son so intimately that uh, she could now be in the thick of this New Testament church that was going to start. And I'm sure until the end of her days, she was a follower of Christ, that she had been his mother, but she became a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. And um, I think that if there's any name by which we should name her, it should be Mary, the mother of Jesus and the follower of Christ. Because he was her son, but he became her saviour. Just like he is our saviour, he became her saviour. And I just, that just makes me want to jump for joy. So, um, yes, so that, that is uh, my teaching on Mary. And uh, I have a song a worship song that uh, I think is really beautiful. It's based on part of the what's known as the Magnificat, which just means the magnification of magnifying Christ. That, that the words that Mary spoke, those words of praise, when um, Elizabeth confirmed the word of the Lord to her. So if we can play that, let's just um, close our eyes and... And let's just let the Lord, by Spirit, just minister to us and let's just end like that. <laughs> 